Welcome to the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, founder at Majority, with another guest host edition for that ass. Today, the guest host, the people's champion, Greg Hahn, co-founder and chief creative officer of Mischief, which Greg has billed as, quote, a safe place for dangerous ideas. In 2022, less than two years into its existence, Mischief was named Agency of the Year by Ad Age, Agency of the Year by Campaign US, the second most innovative agency by Fast Company, and Adweek just named Mischief 2023 US Agency of the Year. Greg's guest, Steve Stout, founder and CEO of Translation, the highly awarded creative agency that's been connecting the world's most famous brands to culture through sports and entertainment for nearly two decades. Prior to founding Translation in 2004, Steve was an exec at Sony Music and Interscope. He produced albums for Mariah Carey and Nas. He executive produced the Academy Award-winning Eight Mile film and soundtrack. He's been inducted into the Advertising Hall of Achievement, recognized as one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, and been named Ad Age's Executive of the Year. Steve is also the author of a New York Times bestseller, The Tanning of America which was made into a four-part VH1 documentary. Two of the baddest to ever do it. This is Greg Hahn and Steve Stout talking to themselves. Let's do it. So I assume we're starting now. First of all, thank you, Steve, for doing this, agreeing to do this. I know you are a busy man. You've got a lot of shit going on, and we're going to get into all that. But first, I wanted to welcome you and say thank you for doing this. It's my first podcast as a host, as I said, and uh, glad to have you as the guest. Greg, as I said to you, man, I would only do this with you. Um, I have a tremendous respect for you and your creativity and the work that you've contributed to this business and this industry. So um, it was a pleasure. It is a pleasure to do this. Uh, Likewise, we're going to get into all of your stuff. Um, But first, I'd love to talk about how we met, because uh, if you remember this, do you remember this? Mm -hmm. It was on airplane ride back from Cannes. It was like some weird bourgeois prison swap because i traded you i traded you my gum for an ambient and we became fast friends after that <laughs> you remember this and i didn't yeah, i didn't know I, you I, by I do your remember, name i don't yeah. remember i don't remember the trade i remember i do remember there was an ambient involved in the flight to can yes um and i do know that well let me first rewind I have been in the advertising business for probably 18, 19 years. I had translation for 19 years, uh, 18 years, and I've been in it a few years longer than that, so over 20 years. And I don't know many people in the advertising business. I don't, I've never, I've always had an outsider's perspective on the industry. And the outsider's perspective is so core not on purpose, that I really don't even know that many people. But when somebody does work that is bigger than the advertising business industry, then I get interested. When it, when it, when it, when it, when it, when it surpasses the bubble of the advertising business, I care. And you've done work that, that does that. So when I met you, I knew who you were. I knew your name. I knew who you were. Um, I didn't know what you looked like, but I knew your name. 
uh, because there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of respect for the work that you've done. And I, and so when I met you, that exchange was, uh, it was an Ambien and gum or whatever it was. I was also uh, knew that I was, you know, meeting somebody who I had a great deal of respect for the work that they've done. Um, thank you for saying that. I, back at you because, yeah, I knew your name, but we never met. And then uh, I was glad that you were actually a really good guy when, when we did meet. But you touched on a few things that I'm dying to get get to. Okay. And um, first of all, one of them is this outsider point of view, because I, I completely see you as someone who's coming from the outside with a different perspective, a different way of thinking about advertising. And that model is so interesting to me, the what you guys have done. And but we're, so I'd love to get into all that. But, but first, let's let's talk about your your origin story and how mm. you got how you got into advertising. First, where are you from and what did your parents do? Let's just start start basically. So my parents, my mom um, was a nurse, a retired nurse now, and my dad uh, was a retired, is a retired marine engineer. Wow. Uh, they're from Trinidad. Uh, my dad came here in the late 60s. Um, is What happened in the American government was in the Vietnam War, when people did not want to fight the fight, and um, a lot of Americans decided not to want to go. Uh, a lot of African Americans decided no, they didn't want to go. And Muhammad Ali, you know, he made a he made a stood up and uh, made a very strong statement about, you know, why would I go fight for this country that's not even, you know, fighting for me um, as a black man? And what America did was they went to English speaking foreign countries like Trinidad, Jamaica, Barbados, and waved visas at the people who lived there and got them to go into uh, the, you know, to do things that was helping them, supporting the military. Right. So my dad got a pass, got a visa uh, uh, by, you know, coming and delivering cargo to the troops in Vietnam. So he'd go back and forth to Vietnam often and uh that's how he got a visa that's how you know he came to america and then brought my family and i was born here um i was born here uh but i have deep connections to trinidad uh where we're from and uh that's the story of that well that's that's a pretty good way to start um how long into your your childhood did you realize that you were well, let me ask you this first. Do you see yourself as a creative person first and a businessman second? Or has it always been like you've always been great at business and you found yourself in a creative field? You know, I have so much respect for very talented creatives that I would never look at a person like you and say, oh, I'm a creative. But I will tell you that I'm more creative than 90% of the people in the business. Yeah. 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 So I'm a businessman primarily and I can help bring forth creative ideas and I'm such a supporter of great creative ideas. But in the advertising industry, there's very few people that I would say is more creative than I am. But I hold myself to a much higher bar. I hold creativity to a really high bar. Uh, so generally speaking, I would say that I'm a businessman and I am creatively, and I'm friendly. I'm gonna creatively support people. 
Um, But in most cases, I find myself as a creative because the truth of the matter is there's not a lot of great creatives in this industry. You started out as a producer, if I'm not not mistaken, right? No, I started off... I started off working with producers. I was more of an executive producer. I put, you know, great talent in a room together. And I also knew how to get out the room once I got them in the room. Yeah, that's, um, that's, a, that's a talent within itself, knowing when to leave. Um, so I did that. Yeah, so I, I was an executive producer. I was an A&R guy, which means you find records, you find songs, you find artists. Dude, that, um, that's a skill, though. That's a, that, that is a skill that translates to any creative Endeavor, yeah, being able to recognize what's good and, and like you yeah. kind of robbed all the creative directors because in a sense a producer is like an uber creative director right? yes like sure. pulling, the, pulling the best and make, informing something out of a mind that is super talented but might not but needs a little bit, bit of direction so correct that's that's you know that's why it's more of like an executive producer where you you're constantly trying to get the best out of the producers. You're trying to get the best performance out of an artist. You're trying to get the best song out of a songwriter. You're trying to get the best edit from an editor. You know, like you you understand how to foster and work with talent to get the best out of it. Yeah. So you had this amazing career. Like you started off in at Sony Records, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And you you had this amazing career as a record, you know, A&R guy. And then what point did you decide to get, like, why advertising? What made you break into this world? So was I, I was at Sony, and um, I made the soundtrack to the film Men in Black, and it sold 10 million albums, and it was a successful, you know, soundtrack. And there was a product placement agency that put the Ray-Ban glasses that right. was responsible for the Ray-Ban placement. And Ray-Ban, as a result of the whole movement, Around Men in Black sold, you know, more. They sold more glasses than we sold soundtracks, and we were successful. And there was no attribution between the the developers of the soundtrack and the and the and the eyewear sales. And uh, you know, I knew that it wasn't a coincidence that our focus and dedication on creating the pop culture moment that that moment was, that movie was, that soundtrack was, um, led to why the contagion, led to the contagion of the sales of the glasses. And um, I said, whoever did that product placement, I want to meet these people. And that was an advertising agency, something I had never heard of. And um, I went to Interscope to be the president over there. And at Interscope, I stayed in close proximity to that advertising agency and was working on a bunch of different deals, trying to bring opportunities to um, uh, Interscope artists. In fact, one of the big opportunities was we had, it was 9-11, and we released Enrique's album song. Uh, We released an Enrique album song and... um, uh, Mark Anthony, his competitor at that time, released a song around the same time. Mark Anthony had a song called Tragedy. And Enrique had a song called Hero. So um, Hero couldn't get arrested at radio. No one would play the song. 
No one liked it, I guess. And then um, I went to, I had, I knew the people at Jeep um, and they had a truck called the Jeep Liberty. And the commercial, which wasn't that good or creative, had a Jeep going up the side of the Statue of Liberty, right? <laughs> I mean, of course. Yeah. Of course. It's just, Quite it's literal, an, yes. Of yeah. course. It's an off-road vehicle. Of course it is. Yes. And behind the, the shot, behind the Statue of Liberty was obviously the Twin Towers. It was 9-11. And, you know, they couldn't run the commercial because it had right. that shot. But then I synced that Enrique's song, Hero, to that commercial and convinced them to run it because that song behind it almost, it made it work. It made it so oh, that you could run that, that, that ad. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. Even, even with the towers behind it. And they ran it on Monday Night Football, and I never forget it. The song went crazy at radio. Oh my God, that's such a great idea. And like, that's and, and and that's when and literally when that happened was when I decided I'm gonna leave the music business and go fully into advertising. Cause I knew I could do more for the music business if I was on the advertising side. Yeah. I just did that because I knew the agency that I was, you know, had the force of the relationship with after Ray Band, and they had, you know, Jeep as a client. So it was easy for me to make that connection and say, you know, you know, let me try to put this song under that piece of film. And when it worked, and then it triggered the song to work at radio, I was like, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do, I'm going to translate. Oh my God, yes. That's, that leads to what I was doing. Yeah, way ahead of your time. Thing. Way ahead of your time. Because we'll get into this too, but um, when we talked, I remember we talked about this, and my sage advice to you, and now I look back on it and I was a fucking idiot, was to change your name. Remember this? You know what? I do I remember. I can tell you where we were. So for everyone who's listening to this, um, there was a period in time where I knew I could take it to the next level. And I wanted to recruit Greg over to, you know, run all the creative or translation. And we sat down, we had breakfast. I'm 90% sure it was Baltazar. Baltazar. Wait, first of all, you were so good because you knew that I wasn't looking at all and would be very resistant to a conversation about like yeah. moving agencies. So yeah. you tell me this was an interview. We were like three meetings deep before you, I realized you were interviewing me. It was yeah. great because we already got to like each other. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that, well, that's, that's part of the interview process is not knowing that you're being interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. So when your person's not looking, that's the only way to do it. So I sat down and um, I remember you said change the name. And I remember you were were very careful about it. And you were carrying the baggage Mm -hmm. of the industry seeing me as an African-American running this business thinking that Oh, because it's called translation. It's a multicultural agency. Exactly. It was something around that. And I'm sitting there going, and I understood what you were saying. But I knew that over time, that if I never took multicultural work, they would never be able to label me a multicultural agency. So I just never took multicultural work. 
That, that's super interesting because what you did, what I came to realize the main name actually is, and it's like so it was so far ahead of its time, is you were translating culture to commerce, basically, or just like you were making advertising that was as good as anything out in culture, and you're like bridging mm-hmm. that gap. Whereas, you know, like my small mind at that time was thinking, well, we work with a lot of multicultural agencies, and what they do is they take our concept and then you know move it towards like their audience or whatever that is you know back in the day that they had agencies that were doing that and i was just like mm-hmm. i see you guys doing so much more than that but why is your name translation because it feels like that's that's kind of work you're going to get you were far mm-hmm. ahead of your time and you told me that's the dumbest fucking idea i've ever heard not in those words but kind of um, looking back at it that's what you should have said because now i see the formation of what you guys have become and it's exactly what every brand is looking for is like, how do I tap into culture? Because my, my brand doesn't speak of that right now. Like, yeah, I, I didn't know. Look, that's what I was doing, Greg. I had a horrible name first. I, I come up with good ideas by coming up with the most obvious descriptor and then using that as the idea that's clear, but also the idea we're not going to use. Yeah. Right. So like, you know, the first idea I had was Culture Works. And I was like, you know, and I knew that was never going to be the name, but I wanted, I wanted, um, I wanted culture in the name so everyone understood what the through line was. My through line has always been the belief that, and I learned this from the music business. When we were selling Eminem albums to black kids or selling DMX albums to white kids, there was no segmentation around general market, African-American or Hispanic. It was people who like rap music. Right. And in the advertising business, the media companies created these segment segments. I deep down think so they can charge the brand three times for the same work. <laughs> right. I, think it's the way to, I think it's just a way to make more money. But I don't think that it's true. That if you I, find the cultural connection with people, that if I like skateboarding and I'm black from Connecticut or black from uh, Compton, and you like skateboarding and you're white from Connecticut, and we're both 18 years old, then like speak to me through that lens. You don't have to speak to me through a lens of, I'm only on BET and you watch yes. some, you know, some, it, some it, bullshit. And it's like this bullshit in the advertising business to me, I'm like, I can solve this. And translation, so I took Culture Works, which was the bad idea name, but the clear name. And then it was like, oh, you're going to translate this. You're going you're gonna to be able to translate culture right. for Fortune 500 companies. And that's, that's how I came up with the name. Yeah. And looking back at you know your earliest work of like taking a song, a soundtrack that maybe was going to sit there and bringing it to the masses in a new way is, is, is sort of what you guys, you know, the, the early model, like you take things mm-hmm. from culture and bring it to, to brands in, in a way that makes it feel like authentic and kind of cool. And lots of people can can see it and jump on it versus, you know, mm-hmm. a, small, a niche. So I see the light. I get it. <laughs> you know, you guys mm-hmm. are obviously done pretty well i mean since we talked you've grown massively you've taken on some great creative leadership and some 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 great brands and, and yeah, 
I've seen, you know, the work has been been pretty amazing. The the beat stuff. I don't know if you if you need to go into that, if you want to talk about like how that came about that project, but to me, that's sort of what turned the world on to, to, to what yeah, you know, sometimes, man, the work that you get recognized for, you realize it's so late. <laughs> so it's bittersweet because you're like, that's when the world recognized you and you know, that yeah. you've been saying that for years, you know, um, yes. but the beats work was, in a year in which you know we were dealing with a lot of divisiveness in uh, America, which you know seems to have re- reappeared again, yeah. but around George Floyd, that all the brands felt like, oh, we got to do this in Black Lives Matters, putting pressure on people, and you know they're going to put black squares one day on Instagram as if that's going to do something that stands for solidarity, I guess whatever, or brands are doing these sort of movements towards diversity and inclusion, and there was a bunch of different things, and that same year, Beats um, came to us, and they were considering closing the brand, um, moving on. AirPods had surpassed them in sales and relevancy, and uh, you know, the guys at Apple, um, Oliver Schusser, Eddie Q, um, you know, well, Jimmy Iovine and that whole team had left. Uh, you know, Jimmy, you know, sold the company. And then the team that he left behind honestly didn't do a great job uh, and let the brand go sort of sideways. But the truth of the matter was that in the marketplace, although they were going sideways, no one else took their spot. This spot of sports, music, mm-hmm. and culture connecting around, you know, uh, headphones or earphones or whatever, it, you know, audio. And I decided, they asked me to take it on. And they said, look, Steve, there's no pitch or anything like that. Can you turn this around? Can you fix it? And I knew early on that they lost their... Um, they lost their way, and we had to reestablish the brand by getting the brand to do something and make a statement in this period of time in which they had permission to do. Yeah. So everybody else who didn't have permission, who was sort of now jumping into the, you know, we support black people and DEI. Felt forced. Right? It felt like virtue signaling. It yeah. Didn't, yeah. They had the permission to do it. So we made that commercial, and... You know, I remember someone had the line, um, you love my culture, but you don't love me. Uh-huh. Um, so and profound. it was such a smart way in. And it was true. But, but, the, but the key to that was when I, I get goosebumps now yeah. is when it was love me, love me not. And I was like, mm. oh, my God, is this big? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so- my God. Bold. It's, such, it's, it's right there. For a brand to say that, that is like ballsy. But listen, the brand, was in, the brand was in that position though, Greg. That's why I'm giving you the backstory. Because they yeah. were like, look, Steve, you take it and you do something. Like, see what you can do. And I hired the director and approved the budget without even asking the brand <laughs> anything. I just, I literally said, this is who I'm hiring. 
And she, she didn't want to shoot it because Melina, she was talented as hell. You know, she, she was going through a bunch of things and it was COVID and all this. And yep, I, I said, I said, Melina, I don't care about that. I don't care about this. I don't care. Whatever you need is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get permission. Yeah. I just did it. And um, she shot an amazing piece of work. And we had a lot of great scenes and the way it was edited and put together and then salons on the soundtrack and the yeah. copy. And then one of our United Masters artists, Toby, Toby Niwi, um, did the he did the voiceover and it was just hmm. magical. So, and then, you know, we look, and then we won all those awards and everybody was excited. And I got, you know, phone calls from people all around the world. And I was excited um, because I got acknowledged for work like that, at least because it was something that I really stand for. And I believe in. Yeah. So it was very important that we could have had a bunch of other ideas that were cool and, it's not like we haven't, but the most recognized work we got, uh, uh, recognized work we've done um, to date has been that. Um, and I'm very proud uh, uh, of that. Um, but, you know, we have a, we, Greg, we, we built a really strong team. And this idea, I don't know if you've seen this thing with, with AT&T. And this yeah, moment. yeah. Now I was going to talk to you about that. It, it's, so, it, it's so Great. beyond, it's, it's so well, beyond that's what I was going to talk to you about because it seems like more and more that is where advertising is going. You're not making ads. You're not making 30-second spots. You're creating conversations and you're creating pieces that become something bigger than than whatever you're tasked with as an advertising agency, right? Like that that's an idea that like lives beyond marketing, but it's still marketing. It's more, well, I've I we I'm doing away, you know. I'm doing away with the word agency. I don't want to be an agency. And I'm not saying that in the cliche way. I hate that word. So what's the new I, word? I, well, it's not a new word. I, I just like two people get fired from a company. So what do they do? They start an agency. Like you, no matter what you do, you can qualify for that word very easily. Like It's like, you, I'm an agency. Like, well, you know what? I don't like what that word means. I don't like that. I don't like think that word describes well anymore what we do, and the association with that word hampers um, one's opinion from a distance at what we do. It's interesting because a lot of I hear a lot of agencies, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> say the same thing of like they don't they're ashamed to be in advertising in some way. That's what I'm getting from that. Yeah, well, narrow to I'm not, not, not afraid to be in advertising. Afraid to be described is a thing that anybody uses as a descriptor. It's like, it it doesn't mean anything. So I'm not repositioning anything. We are a creative solutions company. That's what we are. We're a creative solutions company. Like, we solve a problem. It may be a a television commercial. It may be a helmet. It may be a festival. I don't care what it is. When we came up with Budweiser Made in America... It was a festival, but the brief was literally, they wanted to use, they wanted to, they were frat boy brand, and they wanted to break out of this frat boy sort of image by showing how diverse they were in 
the you know audience that that participated in drinking their beverage. And I'm like, there's no better way to do that than throwing a music festival where you have, you know, Run DMC and Pearl Jam yeah. and Rick Ross and The Strokes and then Jay-Z and it's shot by Ron Howard. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh. So, and then when we got there and you seen naturally because of the lineup, the most diverse audience you've ever seen of people all yeah. together gathered hungry for their passion around music and we shot that, that was like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're solving a problem. And I look, I could have easily shot a Budweiser commercial and, you know, cast it with the, you know, the casting, put, you know, three white guys and a black guy with an Afro and, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, and right, like, right. oh, you'd be checking all the boxes. Right. That's no, multicultural. I, Look at that. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. That's what I love about like about some of these solutions. I, I, I see us the same way. It's like we are we solve business problems through creativity. Don't put us in the box of like it's got to be a video, right? And that well, seems like for those of for, for those of you who um, don't know what we were referencing earlier, this amazing project. You should check it out. Hopefully, Mid will put a, a link into it. But this helmet you developed for football players who are hard of hearing or deaf that can actually receive calls or you know communicate with their coaches on the sidelines and it's done visually, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. What we did was use 5G technology. So AT&T, client you worked on for many years. Yes. My uh, friend Mark Burns was part of this gig. This Mark gig. Burns is, yeah. Mark yeah. Burns loves you and he yeah, loves the fact that dude. you and I, he loves the fact that you and I are, uh, have a, a mutual respect and admiration for another. We talk about you often. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, Mark championed this for three years. And uh, what it allows us to do is use 5G technology to shoot the play um, in a visual, like in the in the uh, visor, in, uh, in the visor of the player. So they, they can see the play. And um, deaf and hard of hearing football players actually used to play professional football. Like there were players who went on to the pros. Because um, the speed is not an issue, the vision is not an issue, lateral movement, hands, all that other stuff. But when the NFL instituted the ability to put the audible in the helmet so that the players can hear because mm -hmm. of crowd noises, etc., they put this audible in. Um, they put it so that the players can can communicate to the coaches through the air. The, the deaf football players were out the game. They couldn't. They they couldn't compete. They couldn't do that. And um, when you See the story of athletes who said, look, my, my, my dream was to play professional football and I know I don't have a chance because I can't, because I'm hard of hearing and this is going to change my life. Look, man, the helmet is going into the College Football Hall of Fame they, as a permanent display. I mean, it's, this, thing is, this thing is story doing. It's showing everybody's been talking about technology and 5G technology for years. At this point, the customer kind of doesn't really know what it means. Yeah. Uh, right. So showing it and doing something for people with it is the best way, um, I guess, to demonstrate, you know, the power of that technology. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on that term. You've I've heard you use it before, the story doing. So the brief is like, you know, the, I've worked on this. The brief for AT&T for a long time was like, show that 5G speed is fast and useful. That usually ends up in a TV spot that gets, you know, 
through run through the the layers and stuff like this but you went around that and said why don't we create something that actually does that and changes people's lives and then they'll, they'll talk about it like people will talk about that did you do that commercial years ago for speed with at&t with floyd mayweather which what with what with floyd mayweather it was a commercial for ATT years ago with Floyd Mayweather. It was de- yeah. demonstrating speed. I, no, was, no, no, that was not me. Really good. I, was, oh, really, I, really good. I have to check it out. I should say it was me, but it was not. Um, well, first of all, before we keep gushing about me and our company, I just want to say congratulations to you. Um, you. What you guys have done in four years? Three, three and years. a half, four years? Wow. Three, three and a half. Uh, has been, has, has, been, has been amazing. And... Um, you know, I'm proud of you because you took something that was unfortunate and um, it was an unfortunate circumstances when you left BBDO and you went over um, to Mischief and you had to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, a lot of skills I'm not great at. Yeah. Huh? A lot of skills I'm not great at. That yeah. I kind of it's, not, it's not your thing, but you had to go over there and be an entrepreneur and your back was against the wall. You had to figure it out. Yeah. Um, it was a very tough time and, you know, it was the worst of times, to be honest with you, when you had to go figure that out. And you went over there um, with an open mind and an open heart. And to me, Adweek's agency of the year, three and a half years later, is a testament to how talented you are. Um, and look, most people in the advertising business, again, with a respect between you and I come into play, I've always asked you for help. Uh, as I was building our creative team and sort of insights and your ideas, um, and you've been very open with me about that. And what's rare is like when you started, I had that Jay-Z project, the marijuana yes. project. Yes. And I, and I put you with Jay-Z. Nobody would ever think that a person from an agency would give somebody else. I was business. so... That was so important to us. I was so touched by that. It was just like, that was a very selfless act. And for, for listeners who probably don't know what we're talking about is uh, Steve had a project with Jay-Z's new marijuana company, Mono. And he, um, Monogram, Monogram, yes. And he approached, um, Steve asked me if my agency wanted to work on it. And this is a time when we, you know, had very little work out in the world. And that was such a generous thing. So, you know, one day I'm sitting on my couch and I get a call from Jay-Z and we're talking about doing this project and all because of Steve, like that, like, yeah, I'm sitting there next to my daughter. I'm like, I'm watching uh, cartoons. What are you doing, Jay? He's like kind of the same thing. He's watching a documentary. <laughs> but um, it was, it was a great project. It helped give us some visibility. And again, like Steve, we talked even before I started mischief, like of like, what's the world like, what, what's going on? You know, like we, we just had like, you know, person-to-person talks of how are things in your world kind of thing. And but I, you, I, you're, you're so good at, Greg, you're so talented at copy, so at great copy. And I was like, you know, I didn't, you know, Jay-Z is a very dear friend of mine and, you know, I don't work, I own the agency, so I don't have a quarterly, you know, thing I got to deal with. So yeah. it was almost like, I, you know, most agencies, as you know, take work for the money regardless of if they're good at the work. I, I didn't want to do that to Jay. I, I knew that you would be better That's at so coming nice. up with the idea than I would. And whatever money was associated with it was far less important to me than it was making sure that the work was done by the best people that could do it. And you were that. That is so rare, man. I think every 
every agency leader should listen to that because it would it's it, we're kind of all in this together and the more selfless you are the better we all are and it just it's just like you've got good ad karma going your way man so it is like I, I love the idea that you can just call me and say have you heard of this person are they any good yeah i need help i need yeah. help yo yeah. greg you need i mean i did it many times greg tell me about this person what do you know is a good pedigree and you'd be like this that that and the third and the other and you've been there so it's easy when you have it's easy when there's respect, man. It's easy when there's trust. It's easy when there's admiration. It's like there's no competitiveness. It's none of that bullshit. You know, I was telling um, the guys at Adweek when we, uh, the AT&T sort of news broke about the helmet. I'm like, this is very important for the advertising business for people to see that the advertising industry can actually make work that changes people's lives. Mm -hmm. And it helps the industry to be perceived that way. Because if the advertising business is just looked at ways of making ads to sell you shit, like marketing shit to sell you shit, that's a disservice to the power of what having, of the, the power of having great creatives and uh, great craftsmen who can think through solutions Think about things that could actually help people. That that ability's there as well. And so, having a client ask you and give you the permission to think freely to come up with an idea like that, I believe more um, brands in should come up with have ideas in which they're tapping great creative talent to solve a real problem um, that can help people and change lives. Versus just selling things. And, yeah. and I believe that the more ideas like that we have in the world and get accredited for, it will raise sort of the water level for the industry as a whole, the perception of the industry as a whole. That's my hope. It, yeah, it comes back to like brands looking at their agencies as in a, in a tight box. And they should just be coming to us with interesting business problems and opened in a number of ways of solving that. And I think that's that you're starting to see more and more of that, but this is a really good sharp example of that. And I, you know, I, I know it's going to, it's going to um, make some noise out in the advertising world. So hopefully that will, that will create like a, a, a new model for, for a bunch of brands and agencies to, to, to work on. Mm -hmm. So well done. Well, um, thank you for that. I, I did want to ask you one thing because this comes back to our first meeting and before we wrap up and I know, I know you got some, Got to get going. We, but um, not that this is the end, but when we first met, one thing you said to me, I'll never forget this, is you said, you just get me in a room and I can close anything. How, how does that, how's that skill come about? Like, is, and can that be learned? Because that's, that, that's always something I've admired of people. Like, well, you connect with people, but you also like, you, I think, well, from a kid, I've always been able to passionately articulate my perspective. If you passionately articulate your perspective, then you're selling. One would call that selling. 
But I do believe that I'm more getting somebody to understand my belief in it and why I and my belief in it and why my belief is so strong that they should back that belief. Mm. Right. So like, but I can't do that with anything. I can only do that with things that I believe in. I can't, I can't convince you of something that I don't believe in myself. So I tell that all the time. I I think you just nailed it though. It's like, you're not selling the thing. You're selling you. You're selling your belief in the thing. So it's almost almost irregardless of what that thing is. If they believe in you and know that you're genuine and this is something you feel strongly about, what they're buying off of is almost secondary. Because most of the times when people are saying no, well, first of all, no is the easiest thing. Like to say no or think that something's not going to work is a a very easy position to take. Most things don't work, right? So it's very easy to say that. So you have to... The no is most of the time is just frivolous. It's a natural reaction. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it, it, it's, it's safe to say no. Right. So what you're really competing with is the sort of knee-jerk reaction of no versus your belief and passion around why you should say yes. And that's what you're competing with. So they have to be like, wait a minute, this is different. This is because everybody else I've said no to, they just tell me the next thing. They just move on to the next thing. They're like, oh, you don't want that? Here's this. And I'm like, no, there is no other thing. This is the thing. And it's thought out very thoroughly. And I give a lot of credit to that, to the team that I built around me. And, um, you know, strategy has been, when I first started the company, the first people I had was strategy people. And yeah. really smart. That's and the true. strategy people, they taught me how to frame up and articulate things in structured thought. So it leads to, if you have great strategists, I think it takes the creative right down to the five-yard line. It, it's right there. I do too. Yeah, we, we, we have this thing where we, you know, it's like first what to say and then how to say it. We spend 90% of our time on the what to say versus mm-hmm. like the execution and that strategy is like, where 90% of the thinking is done. Yeah, so the strategy, so between my passion and the way the strategy team that we have, John Green, Chaucer Barnes, uh, Joel Rodriguez, Sandy Preston, um, the way that team, and uh, there's so many others, but the way they help put the ideas together along with my passion, it's very hard for us to to not be able to get it across the finish line. And I, I believe that, that I have a high close rate because people believe in me and they believe in my passion around it. And then over time, like you have, like, you know, we all have, when you have successes, then people, it's easy for them to believe you because you have a reputation of winning. You're giving <laughs> yourself to other people. Yeah. 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 That's a great answer though. I love this idea of like, just it's, it's, it's belief in yourself in that if you strongly believe and it's all genuine, it can't come across as like hard sell because that's such a turnoff. But if you believe genuinely believe in it, then they will go along with you for that ride. And you also, I, I do think there's also something to the way you you're able to connect with people. Cause like I said, I interviewed three times with you before I knew I was being interviewed. That's just because we were talking about other shit. It wasn't like I've, I've never felt like I was getting sold to or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's a skill, and you know, a lot of people could 
you could learn a lot from just like interpersonal relationships and, and all that before they go into like how to pitch a how to pitch a business or how to pitch an idea, that kind of thing. Well, a lot of times if you do it the right way, um you're not actually in a pitch. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't really want to be. I mean, do you guys pitch against do, do you do um pitch against other businesses as first not really. We don't really get a lot of RFPs. It's so weird. I mean, we're starting to get them now, I guess. I mean, I've never spent the time, you know, kissing the consultant's ass or whatever you're supposed to do. So I don't really know. I don't know them. I don't even re- really know them would, would be an overstatement. I, yeah. I don't know them at all. <laughs> you know, I don't know any of the consultants at all. So uh, it's not like I can pick up the phone and be like, you know, what do you got coming or anything like that. So we get some phone calls. They're still trying to be like, I think, confused on purpose on what we do. Um, and what we'll do is just keep, you know, making a difference, making impact, making great work, making our clients happy. And, you know, over time, you know, we're in the race that way. That's, you know, I'm not, that, that. I'm not pressured. I'm not pressured. I'm pressured to grow because that's the pressure I put on myself, but I'm not pressured by the industry's adoption of us as a household name. Right. Right. I think we have very similar strategies in that way of like, let's create a brand for ourselves and people come to us and, you know, we'll attract the right kind of clients the right kind of mindset. And, uh, you know, which, which leaves you having to compete a little bit less or a lot less, you know, with, with everybody else. Cause you've set yourself apart. I think that's where you guys are. And I, yeah, well, you have a, you have a clear perspective. I mean, what is your clear perspective on the work that it used to be that way, or I guess early in the business, you know, each, whether it was, uh, Leo Burnett or, you know, McCann, every agency had a sort of perspective on the world that uh, was unique to them. And then it just became a rat race towards cheaper prices and we do everything. And, um, you know, that's one way to approach things. But we decided that we were going to be very specific. We were going to understand the value of cultural capital, make work that impacts culture. And over the last, I'd say, three years, Everybody has shifted to that. So you start seeing that in people's decks now and yeah. they start making up shit. And but it's just stuff. one of the many things they try to be versus like who they actually are. Really yeah. are. And I've always told my people, um, we're not going to try to be anybody else. We're going we're gonna to work, always work on being more of what we are. Yeah, same. I, I think you guys are a good role model for us because I, I think that very few agencies do that now and they're all becoming more um, alike than they are, you know, brand stand up, standalone brands are similar. So I think, I think the future in advertising, whatever it is, agency, whatever you want to call it is these brands that kind of know what, who they are and stand for something and differentiate themselves. Yeah. And those are the, and, 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 and by the way, and that's how you're going to hire talented people, people that work for that culture because they understand what the company stands for and, um, the culture of that company. So whether it's translation or mischief, whatever, you know, we, whoever we are, um, there's a specific DNA that attracts the perfect hire for you. That's going to be different than the hire for me. Yeah. Um, and, that, that, and that's, that's good. 
And that's been sort of like my stress point is like, how do I grow and keep the culture alive? Have you guys had that? You have such a strong culture. I, I imagine. I definitely, I definitely run through that. Um, I've gone through that and I've made bad hires that have homogenized it at certain times. Right. For sure. Um, I will tell you that I, yes, I had bad hires that homogenized it. And uh, our chief creative officer, Jason Campbell, has done an amazing job yeah, of great. sort of resetting that. He's great. Um, and in the beginning, when it was like 10 people, 15 people, you know, things that were successes were more like surprises and we felt great about it. And then as we got to like a hundred people, then now you got to take work to support a hundred people and you're hiring faster. Exactly. And when you're going through that period where you're hiring faster, you, you know, they're not going through the close knit circle of the first people that was there that understand the culture really well. So now you start letting people in the company who bring their culture to the company. Yeah. And, 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 and the worst crime is that when you start bringing in senior people like that, they automatically start telling you what you're doing is wrong and they start using what they did from Ogilvy or whatever and start trying to bring that bullshit into your company. And then you, and then, and the other thing they do is they hire people that also come from that same place. Yes. And you're sitting there going, wait a minute. How the fuck do we have all these Ogilvy people? I'm, I'm not shitting on Ogilvy, but yeah. like, how do we have all these Ogilvy people in our company and are like in their DNA and then they're looking at the way we approach things and they're changing it because it's not the way they did it. And I'm like, you know, the first thing you have to do, I tell senior leaders when I am all the time, is why don't you take the time to find out about what about us is unique and, and works? And then embrace that. Before you start thinking that you should make changes, a process, <laughs> right, anything, right. why don't you find out about what about this company makes it unique and what about that works? And then embrace that. I heard this great quote and it kind of keep it in the back of my mind as we grow too. It's like when cultures are strong, new people become the culture When cultures are weak. They become the new people. Right. So you, you've set it in stone and this is what we stand for. You attract those kind of people that can build off of that. If you don't have that, then whoever enters the building next could change everything. Could, could, could set the yeah. culture. In. And bad and, and, and bad behavior is contagious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, bringing in like we brought in a chief people officer who's done an amazing job, amazing job of, you know, understanding the culture and holding people up to that bar. Um, we also run programs. We have this thing called majors and minors where obviously your major is the thing that you do full time. So copywriter, you know, digital creator, what have you. And in which your minor. And a lot of people's minor is, I'm a chef, I'm a DJ, I'm a photographer, whatever it may be. And I remember seeing this because I'd come to work and I'd walk past people's desks, I'd, you know, just do a floor walk or whatever. And, and when I walk by, people start slapping their laptops down. <laughs> the shit they're really interested in, right? Yeah. There's like, all the, you know, I'll start closing fucking windows. Yeah. And, and what I said was, you know what, I want to hire people. And, and allow them to bring their whole selves to work. 
So what we're going to do is once a month, um, or once a quarter rather, sorry, we people they submit their minors, and they and we give them a grant. And okay. essentially, what we do is we give them the grant and say to them um, that we'll give you um, X amount of dollars, and you're going to for five days at at this place where you're going to get a master class in cooking, or you're going to get taught something by a DJ, whatever the thing is, you look, your minor is, and you're going to document it and you're going to come back in front of the agency, the agency, in front of the company and uh, showcase your minor. And it has been an amazing, uh, it's, it's created a lot of freedom where yeah, people man. are running towards their hobbies and we actually hire you and we want to know your minor now. Yeah, we want to know what you do, right? Yeah. And, and, and instituting that in the hiring process has been um, a game changer for us. So yeah, that, that is a built-in culture generator. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a fantastic idea. That's something you should share with like other companies because I think what that brings, the passion, the amount of passion that brings. And I love this inside of like, you, you shouldn't have to go to work and close your computer when the boss walks by. You, you no. should be in like there's no we sort of have the vibe of like the parents are out of town at our place it's like you can come you can be yourself just you know don't wreck the place but have fun that kind of thing and uh, you know I, I watch you guys we're right next door we gotta do lunch one one day you're on j street yeah we're right next door dude we're like uh 10 j street you're or 20 j street yeah you guys are well, 10 well come on. you gotta know your address yeah we're 20 j street you guys are 10 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have been there. No, we go in twice a week. It's it's a good time. But right, we're sitting literally right next door to you guys. So we should we should definitely. Do oh, you're at Twenty J Street. Yeah, the building right next door. I'll come. It's over a residential right. building. No, it's not. As far as I know, um, it is a office building. There's a few other agencies in there, and there's a couple of production companies. It's right. Uh, I love see. that area. Yeah. No, it's cool. It's cool. I will definitely swing by. Is there anything? And you still else? live downtown? I'm in uh, Brooklyn. I'm in. Uh, yeah, last time I, we we met up, I was right next to Balthazar. But right now, I'm in uh, Cobble Hill. So, oh, so that's fantastic. Yeah, not too far. We got to see each other in person one of these days. Yeah, man, that's great. So you just the thing. You got the office there. Good for you, Greg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah agency yeah. in a year. You know, close proximity, work-life balance. <laughs> You're winning. You're winning across yeah, the board. Yeah, well, my friend, I've been taking notes from you. And, and, and honestly, you have been such a great guide and role model and friend and just support for us that I appreciate every, everything you've done. And I always love talking to you. And also, friends out there, is follow Steve on Instagram. It's a pretty fucking good follow. He's uh, one, one day I'll be surfing through my Instagram and suddenly Beyonce will be breaking up a concert to sing Steve Stout happy birthday. I'm like, Jesus Christ, my Instagram sucks. <laughs> now, you know what it is, Greg? It, it's yeah. years again, man. Um, years of uh, being able to be um, honest with people who are super talented, man. There's no, no different is my relationship, you know, or my respect level for Beyonce or Dr. Dre or a great engineer or Greg Hahn. It's like you got these people who are 
very uniquely talented. And there's something about them that makes them special. And if you can, you know, respect that and find ways to help nurture that, that's what you should do. And then, you know, things like, you know, on the other side of it, 20 years later, you know, Beyonce sings you a happy birthday or Usher, you know, stops his show to tell the world about the relationship. And, oh, that and that, 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 that's cool, obviously. But it doesn't come from, oh, we're friends and we're cl the closest friends. It comes from the fact that they know their entire careers, when I, or the part of their career I was around, I was always giving constructive feedback. I was always honest and I always respected their talent at the highest level. And I take that into any creative field. Yeah. That's what I do best. That is you, man. That's, that's why you are you and where you are. And y'all heard it first. My name in the same sentence is Beyonce from Steve Stout. <laughs> Megan. All right, Greg. Thank uh, you. Thank man. you, my friend. You're, you're right. the best. And uh, we'll definitely see each other in person because I'm, I'm that building right next door to you. And it is 20 J Street. I've, I've checked. All right. <laughs> yeah. All, All right, right, brother. Bye -bye. Thanks. Thanks, my friend. All right. See ya. All right. Thanks to the greats, Greg and Steve. Thanks, as always, to my friends at Beacon Street Studios for producing this show. And as always, if you're learning lots and gleaning insights from the guests on this show that's hopefully making you a better professional, please subscribe, rate, review, share it with a friend or colleague. And until we talk again, peace. Let them clap for show. Let it wrap your resistance. May trap unknowns. Release for your heart. Speak ballads flowing.